Happy Wednesday, everyone. You know, we're going to be doing something a little different tonight. We're actually going to be talking about something that's probably close to 150 years old in its beginning and uh, anchored in the spiritualism movement here in the United States. And so I think to get us started, and, and trust me, we will actually get to something that is modern and useful and hopefully even uplifting before the evening's out. <laughs> in case some of you are like, what? Where am I? I thought this was Wednesday night with Larry. Um, but I think to, to get started, we need to even learn some of the vocabulary. So I'm going to try out some vocabulary words around the spiritualism movement and just like blurt it out so that we'll, we'll get, well, for example, does everyone know what a seance is? Yes. Okay, so the idea may be a group of people around a, a table with or without a medium and the idea of speaking to the spirit world, right? Okay, so that would be a seance. Does everyone know what table tapping is? Okay, so, so, so not everyone knows that one. Well, at that same seance or, or maybe some other gathering, again, generally with people around the table, uh, spirits would speak to you by rapping on the underside of the table. So generally it would be uh, like one rap for yes or two raps for no, but you'd set up some kind of a, a signal by which uh, the spirits could, could answer you. And, we're, and, and keep in mind, we're going to be talking about what these spirits were or are later, so don't get too scared. <laughs> what about, does everyone or does anyone know what a planchette is? Planchette, oh, ah, yeah. And, and in fact, Rand, would you, would you cue up the little slide there just to, because I don't even know that everyone knows what a Ouija board is or a Ouija board is. Okay, uh, so leave that one up for just a minute. Believe it or not, the Ouija board is celebrating its 150th anniversary coming up in a couple years. Yeah, is that awesome or what? There were boards almost identical to this in, in the 1880s in America. And they were, you know, today you, you might order a, in fact, I think Parker Brothers, the same people that make Sari and, and, uh, and Monopoly, I think still produce it. And of course, so it's more of a parlor game or, or, or something that, you know, young kids might play today. But believe it or not, this was actually used in the spiritual movement, uh, spiritualism movement of, uh, especially I would say from about 1880 to about 1915 or 1920 as a means of communicating with loved ones who had moved on. Okay, now you might be saying, where, where are we going with this? And why talk about spiritualism? Well, you probably remember we're looking at this early copy of the Science of Mind textbook. And Ernest Holmes, believe it or not, was a spiritualist. He actually attended seances. The founder of Science of Mind, yes, uh, went to seances, probably used a Ouija board at some time, was familiar with table tapping, mediums, all of that. And it's even in the original Science of Mind textbook. In fact, there's over 50 pages of information on psychic phenomena, everything from uh, a description of ghosts and what they might represent to the ideas of a, of a seance and a medium and so forth. Now, many of you know then that in the 1938 version, all of that disappeared, right? The editor's pen was very active and said, I think we'll just cut this. It's safest for everyone <laughs> if we just take this material out. The trouble with taking it out, though, I think, is that we miss some of the interesting descriptions, not so much of 
what happened, because Ernest Holmes, if you read in here, is the first one to say that a lot of this was charlatans. A lot, especially, he says, uh, the table tapping thing almost invariably, you know, was the medium doing the tapping. You know, many of this was clearly proven uh, right along uh, uh, famous cases where people were being bilked for money and things like that. Ernest Holmes, however, was never a disbeliever. He just said there was money to be made here and that whenever money is to be made, there will be people who will make it dishonestly as well as honestly. And so he was a true believer in many of these phenomena right up until his death. So you might say, well, you know, what's the argument then for keeping it in, putting it out? You know, how does this fit in with the idea of spirituality? Well, I think the reason he had it in the original was in the same way that there's Eastern thought in the original. There's, there's things from uh, Buddhism as well as Judaism in here. He really was the great synthesizer. He took all of the world's traditions around uh, what we think of as the spiritual nature of both humans and God, trying to synthesize it into one book. And so I'm pretty sure he would have told you that uh, to take it out was taking out part of God, right? If we believe in that unity principle here, that every person, every, everything, every experience, every thought, that all of it is part of God, well then, why not psychic phenomenon? Why, why not the ability to, to sense things that are going on uh, without using our normal senses? And I would imagine, well, in fact, let's do just the briefest show of hands. Who here in our audience tonight has experienced something, either some form of communication or something that cannot be explained through our normal five senses? Do you see what I mean? And so, you know, probably three quarters of the folks raise their hand. So, so not uh, uncommon for us to have things going on in our life that it would be hard to get a scientist out with a measuring tape and say, here's exactly how that happened. Okay, where I'm headed with this is what he called the unity principle. And I want to read just a little bit in here uh, as he introduces this whole, uh, this whole long, long chapter, 50 pages. Here's how he introduces this whole idea of the law of psychic phenomena. He says, it's taken for granted that the average person of today is more or less acquainted with the facts concerning psychic phenomenon. It would be useless in a course such as this to attempt an exhaustive research work. This has already been done. There is within us the power that communicate without the tongue, to bear witness without the ear, to see without the eye, to talk without the mouth, more ponder, move ponderable objects and grasp things without the hand, and to perform many other feats that are usually connected only with physical instruments. While the above stated facts have all been proven, more or less, the reason for their being has not been so thoroughly or logically discussed. And it is the purpose of this section of the book to explain the fundamental reasons behind the law of mental action, which is called psychic. For if a thing happens, there must be a reason for its happening and a law through which it operates. So you see how he's trying to synthesize what, what is known in terms of other spiritual laws, trying to synthesize that with the things beyond our own five senses. And later on, he will call this the idea of his unified principle, his idea that everything that can be experienced is 
heart of God. No, no devil at works, no opposing force to the, the good nature of the one, create, the one creator, right? Uh, everything that exists, part of God. There isn't the, the God stuff, there isn't the spiritual stuff, oh, and then there's that other stuff. Because <laughs> that, of course, would define the universe in terms of a dichotomy or a diversion, uh, whereas Holmes's main principle was truly all there is is God. So how does he work with this? Well, first of all, he talks about much of the psychic phenomenon as primarily explained in two ways. He says that everything throughout time is really happening at once, that the idea of time, in fact, is probably a human construct to, to kind of measure the passing of our own days. But imagine, if you would, that in the mind of God, everything's sort of happening simultaneously, that there isn't a past, future, and present, that there is just what there is. And given that, from God's perspective, anything that has ever happened, anything that will ever happen, and what's happening right now to God is just happening. And so Holmes says some of the things that we're able to do that don't match in very well with our five senses are simply us glimpsing in to that universal vision of the universe. And that explains how you might know that you know, your sister-in-law in Kansas, something happened to her and you ought to give her a call, right? Because you're tapping into that one power, that one mind that knows everything that's happening. So the idea of telepresence and some of those other psychic phenomenons when, um, or, or just the feelings that you have. Have you ever just known you needed to call someone and you called them and oh my gosh, they, you know, they had a tragedy or, or the baby was born or, you know, it, so, sometimes it's something negative, sometimes it's something hugely positive, but, but something in that connection that you didn't have with that person that isn't, you know, isn't just a telephone wire, <laughs> isn't just a, a message that you send in the usual way, something provides that connection. So Holmes says that's because Everything is happening in the mind of God. And because you, yourself, can tap into the mind of God, your own thinking, your, your own consciousness is part of the mind of God. He says some of us are just better than others at being able to sense what's going on outside of our own head. Uh, he also says that we get better at it with practice, which I think is interesting too. So the more we open our heart to new experiences, the more open we are to noticing little things in our life and not just chalking it up to some kind of strange coincidence, but rather feeling it as an outgrowth of who we are and what we are, um, the more that we can increase our intuitive powers, the more likely we are to be able to tap in to some of those things going on. So that's the one explanation that he has for it. But I think that I, I like Ernest Holmes by saying, you know, until a thing is proven, it's just a theory. I love that about Ernest Holmes, right? He doesn't ask you just to believe something because he says it's true, unless he can prove it in a way. And he's the first to admit that the chapter on psychic phenomenon here really is his best guess or his understanding of how it works, not necessarily the truth. So the other way that he talks about some of the visions and ideas and things that we can get beyond our own five senses 
is that everyone's consciousness, not only their physical form, not only their consciousness that is conscious, but also their consciousness that is unconscious. So let me, let me talk about that just for a minute, right? We all have dreams, we all have fears, we all have uh, uh, feelings and senses that, that never really outpicture in the world, right? There is our conscious thought that often directs us to take activity in the world, to do things and to, to be things, the things that we really know and, and prove to ourselves as being true and good, you know, whether it's the loving relationship that we have or whether it's our time at work or whatever it is, we have a sense of what's real for us. And that, of course, is outplaying in the mind of God. And that's what he was talking about in the first example. But what about the things that you dream about and think about and expect about that never actually come about? Don't we all have uh, childhood fears that still sometimes play in the back of our mind and we'll have, a, we'll have that nightmare that we haven't had since we were in fifth grade about being, you know, under the car or whatever it is? Or am I just talking about myself? <laughs> is there, <laughs> probably just myself, all right. But I bet almost everyone here has a nightmare now and then or an uncomfortable dream, right? It doesn't mean that those things are gonna come out to pass. But what Holmes says is those things too because they're part of our unconscious consciousness, are out there in that universal thought as well, too. And so sometimes when we have that vision or when we have those thoughts, doesn't necessarily mean that it's happening or it's going to come true. Do you know what I mean? So, so it's less of an exact science when we use our, you know, our, our second sight than it is our first sight. Not that we don't get tricked by our own eyesight now and then, right? <laughs> Haven't you had the experience of, uh, of watching something unfold and someone sitting right next to you has a somewhat different idea of what just happened? Well, Holmes says that same thing can happen to us in the, in the spiritual realm, too, that when we're using our intuition or our connection to God to, to puzzle way our way through things, it could be things that really happened, or it could be things that were just in people's minds, their unconscious minds as, all, as well. Because in God, it's all captured. It's all there. And that's why he says, you know, some of the things like past life regressions and things like that, when they're coming through, uh, someone who's skilled at doing that kind of thing, you could go to someone else and it might be a slightly different flavor of it. It's because it's not something that maybe happened in the absolute concrete sense, but rather being interpreted by both the person that's, that's doing the receiving as well as the people that actually created those thoughts and those feelings and those ways of being at the same time. Now, have I completely lost you all? How are you doing tonight? All right, I have lost some of you. That's fair enough. That, I probably lost myself as well. So to, anchor this, so to anchor this a little more firmly, let's do a joke. You knew I was going to bring a joke tonight, so let's give that a try. So one afternoon, a man was wandering about a fairground, and he happened to see a fortune teller's tent. Thinking it would be interesting, he went in for a reading. Well, I have only good news for you today, said the woman as she gazed into her crystal ball. First, I see that you're going to get a raise in your job in the automobile industry. Well, that's wonderful, said the fellow who hoping, happened to work in a Honda dealership. And then I see you're going to have some great moments out on the ocean. Well, that's amazing, thought the fellow who had recently bought a boat. 
Finally, said the woman, I see that both of your children will go to fine Ivy League colleges. Oh, well, that's where you're wrong, said the man. I'm the father of three children. Then, said the woman, perhaps your reading is not entirely good. <laughs> that was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> well, the point here, if there is a point, the point here is when we, when we get a vision of something beyond our five senses, is it really something that happened or was it something in the mind of the people uh, that were uh, having that impression made on the universal mind? So it's not always just a clear-cut case of, uh, of, well, I had this feeling or I had this sense and that means it's either going to happen or that it did happen. It can be simply the subconscious of the people or yourself that are involved as well. So not an exact science. And I want to tell you, I think that is why they edited it out. It wasn't that Ernest Holmes didn't believe that, the, uh, that these things existed. It wasn't that he believed that there, there weren't spiritual powers at work or things working beyond our five senses. But remember what he was a stickler on about principle. Remember how we define spiritual principles? We say that they will work universally, they will work for every person throughout time, and they will work the same for every person. Do you see where we're headed with this? So we had a little trouble in saying that some of the psychic phenomenon could easily be said to be a spiritual principle. It doesn't mean that they're not real. It just means that we can't define it in such a way that it will be easily and exactly repeatable for someone else. Not in the same way that we talk about the law of cause and effect or the, the law of attraction or some of the other spiritual principles that we talk about. So I think we could make a good argument for a couple things. One, probably a good thing that they took it out of the Science of Mind textbook. Um, the Science of Mind textbook, as you know, deals with spiritual principles exclusively, and we like to use it to show that anyone can get closer to God, that anyone can use the power of God with fairly uniform results to improve their lives, to, um, to increase their uh, abundance quotient, to have more love in their life, to experience more joy in the life. Probably that chapter, not as easy to say it will work for every, like you do these things and the table tapping will work. Do you know what I mean? Fair enough. A little bit more on the personal side. The other thing that people would argue about in terms of having it out of the book is simply that the book talks more about uh, God's relationship to us humans and vice versa. Talking about spirits and things like that Maybe not so much. Maybe that's one form of humans talking to another form of humans. So maybe for another reason to leave it out. But I want to get back to this idea, this universal principle of unity. Because I think that the negative aspect of taking it out is that it tends to make us think there's a world of God and there's a world of something else. I think that by, by removing it from the Science of Mind textbook, by not talking about things like our, our connection to, uh, uh, to other people once they've moved on into another realm, uh, dismissing some of our connections to other people that we can't explain, 
I think what we're saying is there are natural forces and there are unnatural forces. Do you know what I mean? We're kind of putting on the back burner some of the things that are very real and very powerful to us. We're almost saying we should ignore our imagination. We should ignore our ability to have uh, intuition around when things are going to happen. It's almost like that shouldn't count anymore. Now, whether it belongs in the Science of Mind textbook or not, yeah. But should we dismiss it? I don't think so. I think each one of us can actually benefit from enriching our imaginations, our sense of intuition about the world and our own lives. I think that often we can get very good clues about our own um, inspiration here on this planet by, by doing things that might be considered in this spiritualist mode, right? Um, even, even if the Ouija board was only tapping into your own imagination. Let's for, pretend for a minute, like let's get super scientific and say that if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Just for a moment, and, and that's not actually what I believe, but, but I'm, I'm all for the people that want you know, good hard science around it. So what if using a Ouija board or getting uh, maybe a reading by, uh, uh, by some uh, a spiritualist, what if all it did was tap in to your own inner wisdom about yourself. Do you see how powerful just that is? To just sit in the quiet for a moment and use a planned chat to connect to your own higher wisdom self about a course of action that you might take. Do you see how powerful that is? Just the thought, in fact, that you would even take the time to do that. You're, you're adding something into it. You're recognizing that there is something in you that can know what it knows. Something in you connected to that universal mind that can help you in a very real, a very tangible way. Now, whether or not we should have uh, classes, what, uh, Barb, help me, what would the class be? What, would we, what class shall we teach this spring? Psychic 101, or would it be uh, Intuition 500? Maybe it'll be a 500 series class, I don't know. But what I do know is that we benefit from connecting into God, connecting into our higher wisdom self, of, of feeling part of the universe, even when it cannot be measured through our usual five senses. Now, many of you know that I like to assign some homework, and, and some of you are probably going, oh my Lord, is he going to make me do a seance this month? <laughs> no, but what I would like you to do is something very simple. The next time an issue presents itself, the next time maybe something a little difficult is going on in your life, and you would really like some good advice about it, I would like you to simply grow very quiet, sit down maybe with a piece of paper so that you can take a few notes, and whether you want to think of it as asking your ancestors or whether you want to think about it as asking God, whether you want to think about it just as asking your own intuition and imagination, think of it as an advisor, whatever it is whether it's God, whether it's, a, it's an angel, right? Because probably in the mind of God, they're all the same thing. They're probably all the same kind of form of, of wisdom that just exists for us to tap into. So just in the quiet of your own home with a, a pad and a pencil, outline your problem, your predicament, your question in your own mind 
Just sit quietly and wait for the answer. Know that it can be an amazing and powerful answer. Know that whether you're tapping into just your own imagination or whether you're tapping into the absolute wisdom of the ancients, know that it could be the same thing. Know that the answer is there for you. Know that it's powerful. Know that it's true. So that's your homework this week. I'd like you just to expand your own hearts and your own minds into something beyond your five senses and just see if that might powerfully serve you. I'm going to close with a, a final quote from, uh, from Ernest Holmes in the original 1926 text. He says, We will take up the, su the study of this subject just as we would approach the study of any other spiritual law. We'll approach it with an open mind, without any superstition, and free from any sense of the unnatural. Nature is always natural, and only those things are mysteries which we do not yet understand. Let us pray. There is one power. There is one presence. There is only one thing. And whether you think of this thing as a universal God or a universal consciousness, whether you think of it as uh, Allah or God or the divine feminine, bear with me tonight as we think of it as encompassing everything, every person, every place, everything, and also throughout time, everything that ever has been, everything that ever will be, including this precious present moment, all of it is God. God aware of everything that has ever happened, everything that will happen. God that can answer any question, that universal wisdom. God that is the, the universal heart, able to comfort beyond the grave, able to be everywhere at once. This is my God. And what I know about it is that it is infinite. That my connection to my higher power is infinite in its scope, allowing me to see beyond my five senses, allowing me to, to hear the wisdom of the ages, allowing me to feel the love of people that have gone before me. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, each person here, call it creativity, call it imagination, call it our sixth sense, call it our second sight, each person here is a center of consciousness for the universe, allowing each person here to, to feel and sense beyond their usual five senses, allowing them to benefit from this in creating a life that, that just shines with love, with connection, with light, with joy, bringing about only happiness, allowing us to connect in across the miles and across the years with those we love. Allowing us to, to sense the right answers that will bring us greater pleasure and joy. This is the truth of who we are as humans. This is the truth of who we are as spiritual beings. And I'm grateful for this grateful for the power and presence of God showing up in so many, perhaps even unimaginable ways. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I simply let it be, and together we say, and so it is.
Thank you for being here tonight. So glad you were here. Thank you.